Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are here. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning, so I invite you to turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Raise your hand if you were here last week. All right. You may remember uh, I told you a little story about paper towels and napkins. Y'all remember that? Well, on my desk this week was an emergency supply of napkins. So thank you very much. This morning, we're going to continue our series entitled Life Together by uh, turning to the book of 2 Timothy. Now, I hesitated to preach from the book uh, of 2 Timothy because um, I think Scott Andrews is going to start preaching through the pastoral epistles when he returns. That's First and Second Timothy and Titus. At least that's what he was thinking uh, as he went on sabbatical. But I really felt drawn to this passage that we're going to look at this morning. And I figured if, if Scott starts with First Timothy, it'll be a while before we get to Second Timothy. So, how are you doing? Good to have you back. On Mother's Day, I attempted to preach a sermon that would be helpful and encouraging to everyone, regardless of whether or not you were a mom. That sermon was about persevering prayer. But I did try uh, and give some specific application to moms. And today, on Father's Day, I'm taking a similar approach. The message is for everyone, but I am going to speak directly to men in general uh, and maybe fathers specifically on occasion. Like Mother's Day, Father's Day can be a wonderful day for some, and it can be a very complicated or difficult day for others. I noticed over the weekend that people started to post pictures of their dad on Facebook. Many of the people that were doing that are missing their dad because he's now gone. Um, statistically speaking, Father's Day probably has a higher probability of being a difficult day if you compare it to Mother's Day. Many in our culture have some kind of a father hole in their heart. And if that is the case for you here today, my prayer uh, for you comes from 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. It says, may the God and Father of, of mercies and the God of all comfort comfort you today. But we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to read it for us, uh, and then we'll see what it has to say. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. Second Timothy is Paul's second letter to Timothy. That's probably one of the more, more obvious things I've ever said in a sermon. Paul was a prisoner for preaching the gospel, and his execution was, was imminent. 
as he penned these words to his younger partner in ministry. So many have called this letter Paul's last will and testament. It is a deeply personal letter. We get a very intimate look at the joy and pain that, that ministry had brought Paul. And as we read First and Second Timothy, we get a, pro, a decent profile of Timothy. We know that many considered him very young, perhaps too young for ministry. Paul wanted Timothy to push through that. We know that Timothy struggled with sickness fairly often. Paul told him at one point to drink a little wine, hoping that might help his stomach and his frequent ailments. Timothy also seems to have had a timid side. Apparently he wasn't that type A leader that we might expect. Beyond that, Timothy also struggled with the possibility of persecution. He wanted to avoid it. And Paul exhorted him to press ahead in ministry, even though persecution was quite possible. In other words, Timothy was an average Joe. He was like all of us. We also learn a little bit about Timothy's childhood and his spiritual heritage. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.5. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And 2 Timothy 3.15 says that Timothy learned the scriptures in his childhood. So who taught Timothy the scriptures? His grandmother and his mother. Praise God for grandmothers and moms who, who teach the Bible. Their faithful instruction can yield great fruit. It certainly did for Timothy. He became a pastor. But notice, someone is not on the list. Dad is not mentioned. Acts 16 opens this whole thing up for us just a little bit more. Uh, Acts 16.1, Paul came uh, also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So think through this with me. Timothy's mom was a Jewish believer, which had to be true of his grandmother as well. But his father was a Greek, that is a Gentile. Timothy's mom must have become a believer at some point, but dad remained a Greek. And at the time of Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, dad is not mentioned in Timothy's spiritual heritage. So on Father's Day, if there are passages of scripture that should encourage a single mom or a grandparent or someone whose dad was not around or a woman whose husband won't engage with the children spiritually, it's 2 Timothy 1.5 and 2 Timothy 3.15. A book of the Bible is named after a man who had a spiritually absent dad. Timothy's dad was apparently not a Christian. But God is not limited by an absent father. Grandma and mom were God's instruments in Timothy's life, and it made him wise to salvation. They sowed the seed, and they trusted God for the fruit. Don't give up, single mom. Don't give up, grandparent. If dad is not around, you can still feed your kids the word of God and it can still have great effect. And if you did not have the dad that you wanted, do your best to look for God's grace and provision extended to you despite that. Timothy was blessed by Paul and his mother and his grandmother. Now, Paul's primary concern in the letter to, is to prepare Timothy for pastoral ministry without him. Paul had been Timothy's mentor, his spiritual father, 
And he knew that Timothy was about to lose him as a resource. Paul knew that he was going to die. And he wanted to put some things on paper for Timothy before that happened. So while the most immediate application in 2 Timothy is, for, is often for pastors, if men are to be leaders in the church and if fathers are to be spiritual leaders in the home, it makes sense to me to use this letter to help equip and encourage men in that task. As you read through 2 Timothy, it's pretty clear that Timothy is struggling. All of us are vulnerable to spiritual fatigue. We are swimming upstream against a godless culture. We are fighting our own fleshly desires. We are surrounded by temptations to sin. Some of us are in environments on a weekly basis that are not favorable to Christians. We are all seeking to juggle all that comes with life and, and sometimes we can just get tired. And the culture is becoming more hostile to Christians. The trials that come with following Christ can leave us feeling worn out. And this can happen to any of us. Fathers who are seeking to shepherd their family well know that this is true. Your child can come home from school so beaten down by the godlessness that they are surrounded by. Your wife can feel so much pressure from so many different angles at the same time that she just collapses on the, on the couch. Sometimes you're supposed to lead and love and shepherd your wife and your children when you are just as discouraged, when you are just as exhausted. Sometimes your tank is empty and somebody needs you to get moving. So what are we to do? What are we to do if any of us are feeling spiritually fatigued and a little a little hesitant to keep going. Our passage is gonna show us five things that we can do this morning. Each one of these is an imperative. That is, it's a command from God. So as Paul wrote Timothy to encourage him to keep running, he did not see these as suggestions. He saw these as commands. I picture Timothy running in a race and Paul noticing uh, Timothy's looking a bit ragged. Looks like he's about to just drop out. So he starts running beside him and encouraging him. And here's what Paul says. He says, Timothy, I want you to be strengthened by grace. I want you to teach others about grace. I want you to suffer through hard times. I want you to meditate on God's word. And I want you to remember Jesus Christ. We're gonna look at all five of those quickly. First, he says to be strengthened by grace. 2 Timothy 2.1, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is a command from Paul. And since he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's a command from God. It's a command from God to us today. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace doesn't just save. Grace sustains and grace enables, grace restores, grace empowers us to keep going. God does not expect us to strengthen ourselves or, or muster up our own power. Instead, he calls us, he commands us to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The scripture is clear on this. Consider these passages. Hebrews 13, 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. 
So dwelling on and resting in grace does something for us that food cannot. We find strengthening grace by remembering the many promises of God. And there are many promises of God, but consider Hebrews 13, five to six. He says, keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. That is a promise of grace in a moment of exhaustion or temptation. He will never leave us or forsake us. We find grace in remembering that God's power is seen and displayed in our weaknesses. He can use it for his glory. Sometimes our weakness is the very place where his grace is most felt and most displayed. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul said, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When we are weak or tired or discouraged, we must go to God. Consider Isaiah 40, 29 to 31. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. You shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Is anybody weary this morning? Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Are any men, are any dads weary from all that comes from the post of responsibility that you find yourself in? You are not alone. That's why life together is so wonderful. As a community of faith, we, we can be the means of grace to each other. And life together is better when godly men are strengthened by grace. Church, this needs to be a concern for us. We need to be a place where, where men can be recharged and strengthened by grace. We, we don't need men pulling themselves up. We need men being pulled up by grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin and all our shortcoming. Secondly, Paul tells Timothy that he's to teach others about grace. In verse two, Paul exhorts Timothy to make sure he's passing on the faith to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy is supposed to pastor in such a way that other generations will be able to carry the faith to even more people. Dads, we need to do the same thing. We need to be leading our families in such a way that our, our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren will have a chance to hear the, the gospel and know the Lord. Paul wants Timothy to disciple men who can disciple others. And, and men, church, this is part of what being strengthened by grace is all about. Imparting the faith to those around us in such a way that the gospel continues to spread and take effect. And teaching others about grace, it actually helps us understand and feel grace even more. But doing this can come at a price. Because Paul goes on to, to tell Timothy to suffer through hard times. Verse 3, 
He wants him to suffer through hard times. Paul is not trying to convince Timothy that this race is easy. He knows that it isn't. He exhorts Timothy to keep running, even though it's hard. And it's, it's certainly not an easy call, but it's a repeated call throughout the New Testament. And it's something that we can do, something that we can do when we're strengthened by grace. Paul uses three images that help us get our minds around what it's like to, to serve and suffer for the advancement of the gospel. Paul calls upon Timothy to act as a soldier, as an athlete, and a farmer. And this call can easily be extended to all Christians. There's truth for all of us here this morning. So how are we to, how are we to suffer through these hard times? First, Christians are to live and serve and suffer as a soldier. Soldiers go to war. They defend against and attack the enemy. And we are at war with evil. We do not fight as the world would fight, but we must fight. A soldier's life is marked by sacrifice, risk, and hardship. A Christian's life has to be marked in a similar way. A soldier must be tough, but a soldier might also need to rescue the wounded and care for them in the midst of battle. That means a soldier must also be tender. Christians have to be both tough and tender soldiers. Men, life together is better when we are both tough and tender for our individual families, for our church family, and for those in our community. This is a prayer that I pray for my boys on a regular basis. I pray that with them and I pray it for them. I say, Father, make them tough so that they can deal with this world. Make them tender so that they can love people. This is the way we must be. We must be tough and we must be tender. Since our aim is to please God, the one who enlisted us, we must avoid civilian pursuits. There are a lot of ways we could think about this. I don't think it means we can't ever have a hobby or a mortgage. And yet, a soldier is most effective when he is most focused. A soldier pursuing a civilian lifestyle in the midst of a war zone will not be an effective soldier on the battlefield. So if we're going to be kingdom-minded people who are intentionally involved in discipleship, our priorities will look different from the world's priorities. A soldier lays his life on the line for others and he takes risks to achieve victory and rescue the wounded. This is what we must be about as Christians. This is what we must be about as men and fathers. Secondly, we see that Christians are to, to live and serve and suffer as an athlete. Athletes also sacrifice. It's a very different type of sacrifice from that of a soldier, but there is sacrifice. An athlete continually trains so that he can improve. An athlete wants to win, and so he seeks to work harder than all the others, and he seeks to compete by the rules. So an athlete might enjoy soda and cookies, but he refuses himself these pleasures for the sake of his continued training. An athlete who continues to enjoy success is the athlete who does not quit training. He's always in training. A Christian is to have the attitude of an athlete. 
We are in constant training, always seeking to improve our walk with the Lord and our effectiveness at winning others to Christ. In this training, it might mean that we refuse to engage in certain pleasures that aren't, aren't sinful. We just choose to not engage in them for the sake of our training, for the sake of our goal. I mean, there are lessons for us here. There are reminders for us. A Christian can't be lazy and expect success. A Christian can't bend the rules. He must be faithful to the Lord. There's a toughness and a tenderness in athletics too. A football player might throw a Hail Mary pass or he might flip it to the running back, depending on the situation. And if he got those reversed, it would not end well, would it? A baseball player might swing for the fence or lay down a bunt so that a runner can advance. In golf, the goal is to get the ball in the hole, but a putter and a driver are used for different situations. Sometimes we need a putter and sometimes we need a driver and we've got to know the difference. Sometimes we need to be tough and sometimes we need to be tender. Men, we've got to lead in this. We must know what the situation calls for and be gentle or be strong. Third, Christians are to live and serve and suffer as a farmer. Farming is hard work. When you get up at the crack of dawn, you work all day, then you collapse after the sun goes down. There are days when you have to clear a field. There are days when you have to fix equipment or mend a fence. There are days when you get to enjoy the harvest. And no one faults a farmer for uh, sharing in the first fruits of the harvest. But the harvest doesn't come unless you log the long, hard, unglorious hours of labor. And farmers know that some things are out of their control. A farmer can plant the crops, but he cannot make it rain. There are lessons for us here. Christians can't expect a harvest unless they are willing to do the work that comes before it. Hear that, men. You want a harvest? Dads, you want a harvest in your family? You're gonna have to work. But when a Christian works, he works by faith, knowing that some things are out of his control. So we do what scripture calls us to do and we trust God with the results. There's a toughness and there's a tenderness to farming as well. Sometimes getting the field ready just requires brute strength. And sometimes tending to the seedlings requires a delicate hand. Timothy was to model the dedication of a soldier, the discipline of an athlete, and the hard work of the farmer. He was to set the pace as a pastor. Similarly, men are to do the same in their homes and in their church. Life, to be, life together will be better when all of us, all of us as Christians, are dedicated, disciplined, and hardworking. Men, let's be this way together. Let's lead this church in that direction. Verse 7 says, Meditating on these examples, considering them, will bring understanding to what we are to be about and do as Christian men. Which brings us to our fourth point. We are to meditate on God's word. We live in the midst of constant noise. That noise is not going away. We serve our own souls when we steal a few moments of quiet to consider God's word. 
Sometimes the best way to strengthen our body so that we can keep running is to feed our heart and our mind. Surely being strengthened by grace is more likely to take place if we'll take just a few moments to ponder and prayerfully consider the grace that God's word presents. All of us need this. All of us need this. Men, we desperately need it. We must pursue it. If we wait for it to happen, it will not. We must pursue it. When we pursue those moments of, of quiet and contemplation, we're more likely to remember Jesus Christ, which is our final point this morning. Paul calls on Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. As Timothy led and loved his church, he was to remember Jesus. There are at least four truths about Christ that Paul mentions at this point. He says he's risen from the dead. He's the offspring of David. He's the one whose word is not bound. And he's the one who cannot deny himself. Time's not gonna allow me to dig in to those descriptions of Christ this morning like I'd like to, but they are packed with truth to meditate on. For now, let me say this. Jesus Christ was the perfect soldier, sacrificing himself to defeat the enemy and rescue the wounded. He was the perfect athlete, perfect in performance, faithful in all things. He was the perfect farmer, carrying out his mission and trusting the Father with the harvest. He is our example. He is our savior. Risen from the dead, Jesus conquered sin and death. We are to remember him. There isn't a person in this room who has lived perfectly. There isn't a dad who has lived perfectly. Remember Jesus Christ. Be strengthened by the grace that is in him and him alone. If you've experienced that grace, extend that grace to those we do life together with, even to your earthly father. Just as we did with, with Mother's Day, uh, we want to take a few moments to pray for all the fathers this morning. And we're going to do that uh, in just a moment after we sing. I'd also uh, like to encourage the prayer response team to come up at the end of the service. And if there's anybody here this morning who would like to pray about anything, uh, there'll be people here that can do that for you. Let me pray for us as the worship team comes up. Father, thank you for Christ who is and who has done what we cannot be and do on our own. May we remember him as we do life together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand